This podcast is part of the MyPodcast.com network. Go online right now and get your very own 100% free podcast, MyPodcast.com. Welcome to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. Hosted by Shidoshi Jeffrey Miller and Black Belt Eric White. Shidoshi Miller is a 12th degree black belt and master instructor of Warrior Concepts International in Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 25 years and has taken him around the world to train with some of the world's best martial arts masters. Eric White has been a student of Shidoshi Miller's for five years and holds a second degree black belt. Together, they will answer your questions, discuss techniques, history, and current issues important to you, the self-defense-minded citizen and the practicing martial artist. Submit your questions by email to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Welcome to our fifth episode of Kudin. As always, you can find out more information by checking the website warrior-concepts-online.com and all comments and questions are directed to the email address warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Lots of good stuff coming up in this fifth episode of Kudin. The bigger they are, the harder they fall. How to handle a bigger attacker, physically a bigger attacker. And I can think of one student I uh, recall training with years ago that comes to mind for that. Just the perfect big guy attacker to train with. Are we talking about Yama? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. nicknamed this guy Yama, which is the Japanese word for mountain. Yeah. <laughs> but just that you know, he's one of those people who's very large, but not like an obese large. A solid, oh, a big, solid mountain. Guy. Can't move him if yeah. you're trying to overpower him with strength. Ain't going to happen. You know, he really learned how to do break falls really, really well because everybody just jumped right in there and went, oh, I'm training with Jason on this one. Because <laughs> they just figured if they could bring him down, they can bring anybody down. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, um, uh, this that's kind of contradictory to most of the programs that I've ever been associated with uh, outside of what we do. Um because they were sport and competition oriented, right? You normally teamed up with somebody your size, your build, your gender, that kind of thing. Um, but uh, in reality... You know, it's it's easy to win when you've got the bigger army or you're the bigger guy or whatever. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, need to do and the philosophies and, and, and principles and concepts that we're bringing to the table um, really address that whole self-defense kind of mentality where, uh, like it or not, you're going to be the underdog and you still have to win. Mm-hmm. So how do you do that? How do you start as the underdog and still win? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that is coming up in our very first segment, the second segment on this episode of Kuden Tempo Jutsu. What's that ninja packing? <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk <laughs> is about that a short sword. Or, no, never mind. <laughs> we're going to talk about firearms and specifically uh, how the ninja takes a look at at the utilization of firearms. So we'll get your thinking outside of the box on that and blow some people's minds a little bit. I'll but try not to under-impress. <laughs> <laughs> we'll also talk a little bit about uh, and give you a little taste of the DVD that's available. You can check it out online, find out more Actually, information. Three. three. It's that a was series. an entire weekend of, of training that was uh, recorded. There's, uh, what we did was we had uh, a whole day of live fire training that incorporated the foundational uh, teachings as well. So that's basically uh, two sessions in one, and then the other two DVDs were uh, workshops, uh, one on disarms and one on... Uh, 
retention. Mm-hmm. It actually covers what I call the four pillars of firearm mastery uh, so that people aren't just relying on shooting or you know, whatever, whatever their preferences are so they can really be prepared for a situation. And we'll take, we'll, we'll compare that or we'll uh, take a look at that and I'll talk about how uh, that's associated with any kind of weapons training. Be sure to look for that on the website. You can order that Surviving Under Fire, the DVD, uh, the series of three. So uh, check that out again, warrior-concepts-online.com. And our final segment on the show today, we're going to talk about how the warrior defines courage. Because, you know, when somebody thinks of a, a warrior, I think one of the first things they think, well, a warrior is a brave person. They, they have courage. But mm. well, what is that true definition uh, as we get to the heart of what is what is courage? Well, I think it's... I think it, it's it, uh, is the same as just about any of these other uh, leadership qualities that people have or that people would like to have, uh, including leadership itself, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the predominant or the prevailing belief, whether it's spoken or not, is that you're either born with it or you're not. You either have it or you don't. And um, that's just not true. Okay? These things can be grown. They can be – you can train. And there's things that you can do to – develop and or maintain and or increase courage and, and things like that. Uh, but uh, as always, my perspective on this is going to be what appears to be bass backwards from everybody else's. <laughs> okay, so. Excellent. That's all coming up on this episode of Kuden. Next, Kuden News. With the latest in self-defense and martial arts current events and information from around the world to you, this is Kuden News. In Bujinkan News, a reminder that this year's theme is no theme. Soke, however, discussed three things that are important to a martial artist. Sino, ability and or talent. Kokoro, heart. And Utsua, capacity. Mark Lithgow, Soke's interpreter, says he took Soke's words as ability, heart, and a capacity for growth is important for a martial artist. In addition to the no theme theme, Soke would like students to study Nawa, rope, and Ken Sword. In WCI News, Shidoshi Miller's three-disc DVD series, Surviving Under Fire, is now available. Master defensive combat handgun tactics and techniques. Learn handgun disarms and retention, plus improve speed and accuracy. This series has something for everyone, whether you've never fired a gun or you consider yourself an expert. Visit the website or call the Academy today to place your order. Be sure to check out warrior-concepts-online.com often, the website is being restructured to offer more specific information and training opportunities. The new website will feature areas specific to traditional NIMPO training, general self-defense information, corporate workplace self-defense consulting, and more. It will now be even easier to find the information you need. Shinobi no Haru Omatsuri, the annual Spring Ninja Camp, will be held April 3rd through the 5th. The theme will be Ura and Omote, unlocking the hidden secrets to mastery. Fall Ninja Camp, Shinobi no Akio Matsuri, is scheduled for October 2nd through the 4th. The theme for the fall camp is Dragon and Tiger Ninja, exploring the two realms of power and mastery. To reserve your space at one or both camps, call the Academy at area code 570-988-2228. The Japan Training Adventure will take place twice again this year. The spring trip is April 27th through May 11th, and the fall trip will be September 3rd through the 17th. In addition to training with Hatsumi-sensei and several Shihan, there will also be time for exploring the history, culture, and roots of ninja ancestry. Students will join Shidoshi Miller as he crisscrosses Japan, taking them from Hombu Dojo, just outside of Tokyo, to the seaside city of Kamakura, the old imperial capital of Kyoto, and Togakushi Mountain, high above the western city of Nagano. Be sure to contact Shidoshi Miller about reserving your space on one of this year's trips. 
For more details and information on how you can attend one of Shidoshi Miller's seminars, classes, camps, or training adventures, visit warrior-concepts-online.com or call area code 570-988-2228. Welcome back to Kuden. We're here at our first segment of uh, this fifth episode, and it is titled, The Bigger They Are, The Harder They Fall, How to Handle a Bigger, Talking Physically bigger attacker how, how how does a person handle that and, I, and this jumped into my mind because uh as i thought about a self-defense situation uh, most of the time and you've talked about this a lot we're going to be looking at somebody who has picked us out as a target because they feel that they can overpower us or or get us to comply with whatever they want because they feel that we're weaker more timid th- that we are an a target of opportunity for them absolutely uh, and that's a, that's a really good starting point uh, where we're, a lot of people get into these into these uh, I don't know arguments or philosophical debates or semantics or whatever about uh, this technique or that technique or whatever um, but if you cannot defend yourself or if you can't use that technique that you've learned against somebody uh, bigger than you, stronger than you, okay? And I'm talking 25 to 50% better. Um, throw it away or figure out what you're doing wrong because either the technique is is bad or you don't understand it well enough to be able to use it correctly because absolutely in a self-defense situation, and, and, and I've written articles and I've talked about this stuff until I just want to throw up about it. Um, there's a huge difference between a fight and a self-defense situation, right? A fight, generally speaking, is this uh, contest of bulls, mm. right? And I don't care if it's a sport or whatever, but it's generally two guys that are on pretty even keel or two women or whatever that, you know, they're on even ground, but uh, for whatever reason, this is the route they've decided they're going to take to see who's alpha, right, who's the yeah. top dog. And um, so you, you've got, you know, two or more combatants, but they've all chosen to be there. And they've all, they're all there for the same reason, right? To win, to be the last person standing, whatever, okay? Self-defense situation is very, very different. You, you're, you still have two or more combatants, but at least one of those people, they don't want to be there. They didn't choose to be there. They didn't, you know, walk up and go, hey, you know, you and me in the parking lot, 10 minutes, let's go. Um, they've got a whole different reason for hitting, for kicking, for doing whatever they're going to be doing. So when we're looking at these situations in the middle, you know, during the actual foray, during the actual fight, uh, they look exactly the same. We can tell if it was a fight or a self-defense situation. But the intentions of the people in the middle of it are very, very different. Mm. Absolutely. And so if you are chosen, I mean, if if you're finding yourself face-to-face with an attacker, you have got to already know that the odds are stacked against you. So uh, first thing we want to do is get that whole concept of a quote-unquote fair fight out of your head. Just get rid of it, okay? Because there's nothing fair about a self-defense situation to begin with. We didn't agree to be there. We didn't – there was no art, There was no uh, declaration of war issued, nothing like that, okay? Mm-hmm. So how is it fair to begin with when this person who's bigger, stronger, faster, better armed or whatever picks you because you're not, mm. 
So we're, you know, and, and I think we Americans have in, uh, inherited a really sick sense of fair play from, generally speaking, our European and our, our uh, British roots. And no offense to the folks that are listening uh, from that side of the world or whatever, but um, that's a really odd kind of thing. You know, the, the Japanese typical take is if we're at war, um, bureaucracy and fair play have already failed. So win. Mm-hmm. Right. Um but absolutely, if, you, if you're if you're in it, so let's already assume that you have to defend yourself against people, and that's that's what the approach that we take at the academy, right? And the the approach I take in my programs, okay. So that's why I think that um, people are are surprised to find that we have many more options than just okay. Here's your physical step by step techniques, right? There's the dissuasive tactics and and talking somebody down and de-escalating a situation. There are the distraction tactics and just completely getting them off track to where they're thinking about something else, right? Uh, the escaping to safety and all those other things other than just physically dealing with a physical self-defense situation. There's so many things you can do before you actually get there because chances are you're not going to be dealing with somebody your size or smaller. And if you are, then there's something going on inside them that you don't know about anyway. They're either nuts or they're hyped up on something or They've got more tricks, more weapons, more you know, friends that you don't know about. So, again, be real careful when the person you're facing is smaller than you, too, because there may be more going on than, you know, what it looks like. Mm-hmm. So we've got to be real, real careful. Um, so dealing with a bigger person. Thinking outside the box, again, we need to start inside the box. I think I talked about that in the last episode, right? So we're still going to need strength. We're still going to need speed. We're still going to need these conventional ideas. But we're going to need to look at them very, very differently. So let me give you an example. Well, you've gone through this stuff, but remember the uh, the blocking kind of thing that we teach brand-new people coming in the door. Now, we're not a real big fan of blocking because blocking generally means that you're stopping them from doing something uh, and you're not – you're still, you know, you're in the line of fire. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, we would prefer to be where the danger isn't. So uh, we prefer evasive footwork rather than – standing there and blocking something. Uh, but we teach beginners blocking because they're beginners. They haven't learned the footwork yet. You, and besides that, you may find yourself cornered or whatever, and you can't move just yet. But uh, uh, where most people have these stylized blocks that really rely on muscular strength, okay? Uh, first thing we teach students is to learn to use their skeletal positioning. So, one, they're using a completely different muscle set than most people do. And two, they're relying on skeletal positioning, so structure, okay, to be strong positionally rather than in a muscular way, okay? So even though both combatants are using uh, strength, the the concept of strength in there, uh, we're just not playing the same game that the attacker is because if I rely on muscular strength to be strong, then I have to hope that I never go up against anybody that's my build, my strength level, that kind of thing, because that's where the contest ends, right? The person with the more muscle mass or the more developed muscles or the, or the more muscular strength is going to win if that's the contest, mm-hmm. right? Even wrestlers, right, when they're doing those things, right? They, they have to weigh in at a certain weight class and they have to, right. Right, have, have, to have a certain ability level. So we need to get outside of that competition mindset and think about how we can be strong without relying on muscular strength. How can we be, how can we be fast without relying on uh, muscular 
uh, speed, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? How can we do those things? Uh, one way to be faster is to cut down the distance between point A and point B, right? If you walk, if you avoid the guy's attacks and you position your weapon closer to the target before you launch it, you make it faster. You don't have to punch faster, mm. but you reduce the time it takes to get from start point to target, right? So you see how we're thinking about this in a very, very different way. Well, I'm talking to the choir here. I mean, you know you're nodding your head over there. Absolutely. you got your black belt. Duh. Okay. But we need to think about these concepts in a different way. So dealing with a bigger attacker means right off the bat that we can't rely on conventional aspects of things uh, because this guy's already he already has it right he has a bigger physique he's got which if he's if he's bigger whether he's obese or he's fit, uh, mu- uh, you know stronger by muscle mass his body is already wired to be stronger because it has to carry that frame around mm. right i mean bigger heavier people uh, unless you know their their body is just uh, their muscle mass has been so atrophied because they've been overweight for so long or whatever typically are very, very strong. Like we've talked in the past about um, our one student, Yama. Yeah. Right? Um, Yama's a big guy. Yama has a weight issue, but he's also very muscular. Yeah. And to have him grab you, (laughs) man, there's nothing weak in there at all. But, and we've talked about this in class, I mean, his body has had to develop more muscle mass and strength because it has to carry that frame around. So yeah. if he grabs you to move your frame around, that's nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Because he's moving around 350, 400 pounds already um, and moves it around very well. I mean, whenever people see him roll, they're like, oh, my God, how do you do that? Yeah. Right? Well, just fall down and tuck as much as possible, right? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we, we already have to think about these uh, qualities in a different way because if we play the same game that he's playing we're going to lose yeah we're going to lose big time and and it's difficult i mean i, I nod my head because i know the concepts that you're you're talking about but just two seconds of starting to train with someone like yama instantly i i know i could still catch myself reverting back to that mm, you, you try to strengthen you try to you know, muscle it out, and right away, right. training with somebody like that that's bigger than you is going to show and tell you right away, oh, no, you're trying to muscle this thing instead of uh, try to go to the appropriate positions and distances and, and, and move appropriately instead of upper body muscle strength kind of thing. So, right, right. Um, you know, you have to train at it too. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, apart from just thinking about it. Cause well, there are lots of aspects to training. I know when I go to Japan, you know, it's a big thing. Uh, Sasumi Sensei even uses this key word, right, play. Mm. Right? Uh, play is important for learning. So by all means, get with your partner, have a good time, have a light spirit, that kind of thing, and play. But that's only one aspect of training. Don't forget that there's also um, – training around attacker psychology and attacker mindset. So make sure that you also have got some training drills in there where the attacker is, or the person who's playing the role of the attacker, right, is trying to get you, not trying, not just trying to play a little patty cake play game kind of thing, mm-hmm. right? Make sure that you're also putting some resistance training in. And I don't mean like weightlifting resistance training. I mean, um, at a controlled speed and a controlled, in a controlled way, uh, when you go to apply a technique, make sure that your uh, training where your attacker catches what you're doing at different points and tries to prevent the technique from there. So you can either learn to adapt and change into something that is working because they gave that to you, or you can reclaim that technique by 
adjusting or learning how to uh, break that thing that they're doing um, so that you can keep going, right? So it's important to put these things into into uh, into your training. But again, a lot of people, we talked about this in the last episode, uh, how important it is to learn how to think about these things or mm-hmm. to look at how you think about thinking about these things, right? Um it's very, very different. So it's important that people, you know, come to camp or come to the seminars or uh, get some live training or, you know, at least look at some videos or something like that where um, they're not just listening to me talk about this stuff. Mm-hmm. They're watching it in action. And, it, you know, the great thing about a live training thing is not just that because uh, videos are good, too, but um, you get real time feedback. Right. You're not just watching. You're trying it on somebody. You're getting feedback from them, and the instructor's right there mm. to help, right? Um, with a video, what you're getting is other people's real-time feedback, right? That kind of thing. But it, it all works out, so it's important to not just listen to the sound of my voice because, well, you know, this is a free podcast, and uh, I just figure if I pick up enough free things along the way and read enough and watch enough videos or listen to enough podcasts or whatever, I'll be able to defend myself in the moment that it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know as well as I do. And, you know, we have a lot of martial artists to contact us for training that have come from other martial arts. So, you know, just the fact of, uh, you know, let's say they ask a question like, uh, do you have sparring? You know how easy it is to answer that one way or the other? Because mm. I can answer it no because we don't have sparring like you're used to sparring, but we do. It just looks different and we take people through it as a training thing, not just as a part of class where, you know, I team you up with that guy and you have at it and try to figure things out as you go along. It's a, it's, it's a, a, an educational prog- uh, process, right? But I don't do things like that. If somebody asks me a question like that, I say, do you want to spar? Because I want to know if they're averse to sparring or if they actually want to spar, mm. right? Um, but people have their preconceived notions either because they've watched movies or they've seen videos or they've been in other training. So when we talk about things like this with, you know, defending against a bigger guy or the whole blocking thing or any of these things that we're talking about, listening to me talk about it, reading an article, you know, the books or whatever, it's just not the same as, right, actually physically seeing it. Or like, you know, you've done it in class how many times against people your size or maybe a little smaller or whatever, and you got the idea, and then you decide you're going to test it by going against somebody who literally Mm -hmm. is... Your height, but he's twice your weight, and the strength ratio is way different, right? Yeah. And it's not that your technique fell apart, but very quickly you learned how to fine-tune it so that when it worked against Yama, yeah, it was freaking devastating against everybody else, right? Yeah. And, it uh, had to be it had to be precise. It when had it came to be to on. Him. That's right. It had to be dead on. So, uh, you know, a lot of people in their training, uh, they settle for good enough. You know, good enough. What is good enough? What, what, what the hell is that? All right. But they settle for good enough. You know, it's close enough for government work or whatever. You know, um, think about this in a self-defense situation, an actual fight. Things are going to be real rough around the edges anyway. Right. I mean, it's going to be you're, you're not going to have that pretty, you know, come I or stance or whatever. Your techniques are not going to be as crisp as they are in the dojo. Okay? It's going to be really rough. OK. In a fight, I'll settle for good enough. Okay. But if I've settled for good enough in the dojo mm. to get by, what's it going to look like when it's rough on the street? Is it still even going to work? So in the dojo, in the training sessions, self-defense classes or whatever, we're trying to get it as close to dead on as possible. So when it's rough around the edges and it's good enough in a self-defense situation, 
it's still good enough. It it allows you to walk home. Yeah. Right. So absolutely, you could have settled for just learning the technique against everybody else. God help you if you'd ever run into somebody on the street that's yama size or strength or whatever and that again that's i keep saying this over and over again through these episodes that's not the place you want to find out that what you learned was shit yeah and i don't mean the shit i mean it was crap it was yeah. it's terrible right yeah. he lied to me right or the guy didn't know what he was talking about or i didn't learn it well enough or that's not the time to figure those things out right the, the, the dojo is your your laboratory right mm. learn it try it out and try to make it fail Okay, because you need to use this stuff against an attacker that unless you've been attacked before, you have to use this stuff against somebody that you can't imagine at this point in your life. You can't. Okay, that much raw ferocity and that much intent to, to want you broken or worse. It's just like with success, right? You need more energy and skills and, and, and wherewithal and a different way of thinking than you could ever possibly imagine to get to the to the level that some people want to get to, and they think they if they just try harder doing what they're doing, it'll work. You're gonna hit a wall, and that wall better not be somebody like Yama, right? Right. Okay. So what else? Uh, bigger attacker. Um, positioning is a big thing, and uh, don't go for center body mass unless you're shooting him. <laughs> don't go for center mass. Mm. Okay. There's way too much bulk there. You need to hit him harder. Uh, going against bigger people uh, rely more on. Uh, use of pressure points, remo- uh, rely more on um, quick footwork and uh, sudden changes because they, the, the bigger they are, the slower they tend to move. Mm. Okay. I'm not saying that they're slow enough that, you know, you're going to be able to hit somebody in matrix speed. Right. But they, they tend to wind up when they hit, those kind of things. So uh, I tend to aim for joints. I tend to aim for, like, the, the shoulder pockets. Uh, I tend to aim for... Uh, pressure points uh, at the inside of the elbows, that kind of thing. I tend to aim for really, really sensitive targets, the throat, the neck. Uh, be careful going after the groin. Uh, you've got to be dead on. Uh, that's not a small joke. That's just it's it's a small target, right? Mm-hmm. Go for the femoral nerves and the inside of the thighs. Go for the knee joints. Go for things that uh, really don't change a whole lot just because the person got bigger, right? They can't develop their throat and, and get it protected just because they're a bigger guy, mm-hmm. right? It's no different than anybody else's, okay? Side of the neck may be different, mm-hmm. but the throat area, it's it's the same, right? The eyes never get never change, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the knees, 65 pounds of pressure to break an, an adult knee. I don't care if it's me or Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. okay? What you do have is they have more muscle and calf and thigh, to resist the folding, so you need to you need to be accurate with your with your uh, hits and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's 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 very very difficult. It's just like defending against multiple attackers, uh, but it's difficult if you're trying to fight the same way he is, or you're trying to use the same traits the same way. Mm. Uh, so again, outside the box, right? Uh, strength by positioning, speed based on. You know, uh, evade and get your weapons close to sensitive areas. Learn about the body, okay? Learn what makes a body strong and learn about parts of the body that are going to be weak no matter how strong this person gets, uh, you know, in a muscular way and go after those targets. Train with somebody bigger than you. It's really, <laughs> it is really going to help you out and help with uh, the training that you're already doing. Um, and like I say, I know for me, it just, it helped with the precision. 
and mm-hmm. and and making sure I was really doing things the right way. It, yeah. It's remarkable how if you're are, if you are the bigger person, how sloppy you can get away with some of the things. So this will really help. And as a bigger person, you develop more respect about techniques and things like that too. Because um, well, even Yama, Yama's still training. Uh, just like everybody else, he's just, I don't want people to think he's the fall guy because right. he's always asking questions about, uh, you know, how would this work against somebody my size or how would this work against somebody even bigger than me? Because even though he's a big guy, his focus is still on the fact that he's probably not going to be attacked by somebody smaller than him. Right. He's going to be attacked by somebody his size or bigger. So he has the same concerns everybody else does. He doesn't walk around with that, <laughs> you know. Right. It's easier for me to do throws because everybody in class is smaller and things like that. He's still working on the the knowledge that if he's jumped, it's either going to be by somebody his size or bigger or it's going to be multiple attackers. Mm. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's – a lot to think about. It's a lot. A lot to think lot. about. And if you have questions, be sure to get them into Shidoshi Miller. Uh, the email address, warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com. Plus, check out the website. Uh, very soon, it will be revamped and updated so that you can easily get to the specific information that you're looking for. And depending on when you're listening to this podcast, it may already uh, be up and in effect. So check out the website, warrior-concepts-online.com. Coming up in our next segment, Teppo Jutsu. Uh, we're going to talk about firearms and a little bit about the DVD that's available, Surviving Under Fire, and how the ninja takes a look at the use of firearms. So that is coming up in our next segment of Kuden. Are you protecting your company's number one asset? Smart companies know they cannot afford to have one of their employees become a victim of violence on or off the job site. WCI's corporate services can help. WCI's expert self-defense consultants can help you and your employees learn strategies to overcome obstacles and develop creative problem-solving skills, develop and use better interpersonal communication skills, verbal self-defense tactics and leadership abilities, improve focus, concentration, and the ability to remain calm under pressure, plus valuable defensive and safety skills in order to prevent and survive incidents of violence. Hiring a WCI self-defense consultant could be the best move your company makes this year. Make WCI corporate services a valuable part of your wellness program. Contact WCI Corporate Services today by visiting WCInternational.com. That's WCInternational.com. Welcome back to our next segment of Kudin on this uh, fifth episode. Still to come, we're going to get into uh, how the warrior defines courage. That's coming up. But right now, we are talking about Teppo Jutsu. What's that ninja packing? <laughs> We're going to talk about firearms and uh, also the DVD that's available, a series of three DVDs uh, that you can get, Surviving Under Fire. Find out more details about that online at warrior-concepts-online.com. Uh, Shidoshi Miller, yes. I've I've been a part of one of your uh, combat handgun seminars, so I've gotten a little taste of this, but I, I know uh, it, was, it was awesome. And for me, it was the first time I had ever even handled a firearm. So I learned not only a lot about the basics in that level one seminar, but also uh, going beyond just the basics as to what I might need to know when actually having to use that firearm in a self-defense situation, things like, um, I guess you'd call it like a tactical reload. Mm. Uh, and that was just issues level about one, cover, And that was just level <laughs> one. So it was a great weekend, and it was there was a lot of stuff there. And... Um, I'm sure you've got some more upcoming seminars like that. So if you're interested in that, check the website often, sign up for the newsletters, and you'll get that information as it comes out. Again, warrior-concepts-online.com. Well, here's a here's a uh, 
uh, it's not an aside, and I don't—I don't know if I attributed this to my ninja mindset or not. But mm-hmm. people tend to tend to compartmentalize things, including training. Uh, there's a story from a, uh, a seminar that I did. As a matter of fact, I think mm, no, it wasn't the seminar that we actually recorded and are putting out a surviving under fire. Uh, but I had a participant come in, and uh, it's really good. It was really a good shot. Mm. It was really, really good at the whole reloading thing. And so the whole first day, I mean, he picked up little things here and there to make his skills better. Mm-hmm. But um, it wasn't until we did the two sessions on disarms mm-hmm. and retention, right? Taking somebody else's gun away when you don't have one yeah. and holding on to your own when they're trying to take it away. Or uh, you've got a multiple attacker scenario and somebody's trying to take yours, right? His jaw dropped. I mean, he spent most of that time taking copious notes because this guy had trained with Israeli special forces and a bunch of other tactical trained with some German groups. And, um, so he wasn't just going to the range and putting some, you know, holes in paper. Yeah. He trained with people that were really good at doing this stuff for combat, which is important, right? It's going to the range is very, very different than getting with somebody who can teach you how to survive when you're ducking bullets as well or when mm. there's a really great chance that you're going to end up with a hole in you if you do this wrong. Um, a lot of people just figure that, you know, they go to the range and they shoot and they're really accurate. Um, they'll be able to defend themselves when they're just missing a whole realm of uh, things that are going to be going on that will make your bullets go in vastly different directions, right? But in all of his training, he had never done anything with retention, or disarms. As a matter of fact, it wasn't even on his list of training. He didn't even, that wasn't even a part of his thinking about, thinking about mm. firearm training. Wow. Okay. So again, again, I keep rehashing this thing that I'm teaching people how to think about the way they think about these things or how to think about that, that realm called a self-protection situation. And part of that is don't forget to add this. Don't forget to look at it from this perspective. Because, again, if we haven't been in that situation, how do you know? Mm-hmm. How do you even prepare for it? Mm-hmm. Right? So uh, I, I like to say that uh, mastery is not just learning things. Right? It's really um, a journey into the unknown unknown. Okay? Uh, I, I know you've done this exercise before where I have people draw a circle on a piece of paper. Yeah. Right? And then make a quarter uh, uh, make like, like a pie piece that's a quarter of that, right? Or draw a, a vertical line down to center and then a horizontal line back over to the uh, to the radius. Is that what that is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now you've got this quarter wedge of pie cut out and then divide that in half, right? And in one of those little wedges, so an eighth of, eighth of a piece, uh, you write the known known, right? So tell me something that you know you know. I know how to speak English, I know how to tie my shoes, I know how to, whatever. There's a whole bunch of stuff you know you know, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the other little wedge, write the known unknown, okay? So tell me something you know you don't know. What's something you know you don't know? Mm. You know how to speak Russian? Nope. Good. So you know you don't know how to speak Russian, right? So what else do you know you don't know? I don't know how to speak a whole myriad of languages. I I don't know how to fly plane. There you I go. I don't know how okay. to fly a helicopter. Right, sure. So you can yeah. write all these things in there, right? But... Then on the outside of those two, I have people write the realm of the known. So it, it doesn't matter if it's the known known or the known unknown. You know about those things. Yes? Right. Which means you can do something with them. 
right? Mm -hmm. You can either enhance the things that you know about or with the things you know you don't know about, you can either make the decision to learn it or leave it alone. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to fix a car. I know I'm a guy, and I'm going to get a rash of crap from a bunch of guys who, <laughs> what do you mean you don't have to fix a car? What, what is that? Yeah, I'm perfectly okay with that. I watched my dad ruin perfectly good cars when I was growing up. So, <laughs> And when I was growing up, you could climb in the engine compartment with the engine and work on the car. Yeah, right? oh, that was great. Now I lift the hood and go, I'm going to pay somebody perfectly good money to screw up my car because they'll have to do it again. Yeah. Um, but I can do something with those things, with those areas, right? The rest of the pie... I have people right in the middle, the unknown unknown, okay? That's how much of your world you don't even know, you don't know anything about. You don't even know it exists. So how do you do anything with that, okay? Yeah. So apply that to your self-defense knowledge or your ninpo knowledge or your personal development knowledge. There's things that you know about and there's things that you know you know nothing about. That's why there's an old saying that the more you know, the more you know what you don't know. Yeah. Because as you as, as you go through mastery or you go through the mastery process, what you're really doing is jumping into that realm of the unknown unknown. And as you learn about things, what you're learning is you don't know anything about that thing. And then you have a decision. You can either spend some time with it or you can leave it alone. Yeah? Mm -hmm. But what you're doing is you're expanding that one eight, that little eighth of a wedge that was the known unknown because you keep adding to it, mm -hmm. okay? But it's the same thing with these. So uh, I really think that when it comes to handgun training or gun training at all, uh, people are so far behind on that. There are way more theories than there are with, say, knife defense tactics. Because, mm -hmm. again, most of us have been cut or nicked or whatever, so there's a whole different thing there. There's a respect for them. There's a knowledge of what they can do. We've held them. That kind of thing. So we can add to our knowledge there, but how many of us have actually been shot or shot at? Not right. me. <laughs> right. So how many of us have been in a self-defense situation, right? So unless you know what's going on in there, unless you know what state your body goes into physiologically, mm. chemically, that kind of stuff, when the fight, flight, when the whole adrenal response hits and adrenaline and epinephrine and stuff like that hits your bloodstream, unless you've been in that situation and know what that, what that state is like, any kind of assumptions about what you're going to do or be able to do from outside that realm is nothing more than empty, dry theory. Mm. Okay? So I don't know if I got off track there or not, but with the gun stuff, uh, we need to already understand that, you know, it is not just plinking. It's not just shooting cans. It's not. It's a whole different realm in there. And one of the biggest mm. things I put in my programs uh, starting at level one, and, you know, we, we did drills on mm -hmm. the range. Mm -hmm where I put you under time fire, I had somebody uh, running at you, now not from the front, right, but putting some pressure on where you actually had to hit the target Yeah. while under at just a little bit of pressure, right? So imagine what it's going to be like when, you know, it's not just somebody running at you to tag you, and if you don't get the round off by the time they tag you, then... You know, yeah. And again, this is the disclaimer. Don't try to do this at home unless you know what my drill looks like. Right. Because when I say somebody running at you, I don't have them running from the front no. <laughs> <laughs> for their safety. Okay. So uh, don't try to recreate this stuff just because you think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. And that was a huge, from my re recollection back to that course, was a big eye opener for me, even not even thinking about or never never using or having any firearms training 
But before we even went to the ranch, we were in the dojo, in class, using some mock-ups and things, and, and it was about trying to just draw the weapon. Absolutely. And somebody covering 20 feet, I think it was, all the way to the other side of the room, running at you full speed. You know, I think we said, well, if it's all you had to do was some get it weapon. out and say bang. Yeah. And you couldn't do it. it was, you didn't it have hard. to find a trigger. You didn't have to make sure the safety was off. You didn't have to break the holster safety. Yeah. Anything like that. Yeah. You had the gun in. It was already ready to go. You know, they were running from the very beginning, from the very, from the very start of the exercise. So you didn't have to pick up an attack yeah. in progress. Yeah. Figure it out and realize that you needed a gun. Go for your gun and get it out and get the round off. Yeah. Just, just the, just learning that awareness that somebody can close that kind of distance that quickly, and it just changed a lot of how I thought about self defense in general, not Absolutely. just with firearms. So yeah, there was a lot there. And you know, the, and my my goal in level one is to get people to understand in their training that if you're not training to deal with and uh, be able to operate within that stress factor, you're not really training. You're mm-hmm. just playing and. Uh, you know, appeasing ego. Right. Yeah, you're not training for producing results when you're going to need to produce results. You're just training so you can show off. Um, take that for what you will. But so, how does a ninja think about uh, firearms? That's a pretty good start. Okay. Uh, but uh, if we look all the way back to when um, firearms were introduced into Japan, mm-hmm. okay, at the port of uh, Tanagashima, okay, um, the ninja liked them. Okay, samurai didn't. They picked up on them originally, but when they realized how easy it was to mow people down with no skill and things like that, mm. uh, the whole bushy ideal kind of got in the way, and they got rid of them. Ninja were like, I don't think so. Okay, to a ninja, the a firearm is just a tool, just like anything else. Mm-hmm. It's a tool. Okay, it's not a like thing. It's not a dislike thing. It's a recognition that this can give me an advantage. So, uh, ninja tend to not be gun fanatics. Okay. I'm not saying that there aren't any out there that are Mm -hmm. or Mm -hmm. aren't, but, um, it's a tool and we need to recognize it as that. So, and in that light, uh, you need to pick the right tool for the right situation. So, you know, I don't want to be carrying something, uh, big and bulky and things like that when, um, you know, I'm a courier because chances are I'm going to be at close range with the person, so something simple like a 22 or a 25, or like a woman, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, chances are she's going to be attacked by somebody right on top of her, okay, that kind of thing. And um, it's something easily placed behind the ear or up under the uh, you know, the jawline or something like that. You don't need her into the armpit, uh, and you still get the same kind of lethal mm-hmm. uh, capability. Um, you know, if I'm... I need to decide what I'm going to need it for. If I'm a uh, if I'm a bodyguard, uh, I don't want something so big and bulky that it's easily recognized that I'm carrying one because I'm going to stand out from the people that aren't bodyguards. Mm-hmm. And uh, most good uh, terrorists or attackers, uh, they shoot the security first. Right. Yeah. So uh, I want to I want to be real careful about what I'm doing and where I'm going. Uh, so uh, yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, the original firearm that was uh, imported into Japan from the Portuguese, okay, is called the ta- uh, Tanagashima because mm. it was named after the port that it was imported into. Mm. But, uh, yeah, the ninja, um, let's see, they took the basic premise and then reworked it so that uh, they could carry what looked like a crude short sword, but it was actually a gun. So mm. when it drew and came around and the samurai assumed that, oh, I've got my katana going against, you know, something 
much shorter. Uh, you know, as the ninja looked like he was drawing his weapon from longer range where the samurai felt safe, right? You, know, it's, you can't cut me with your short sword. It was drawn like a short sword, and then you get that round off, and mm. it's done deal, okay? But again, all that we're talking about back in the time, back in the days of uh, flintlock mm-hmm. kind of things where it was a one-shot deal, and, you know, that it took you half an hour to reload and <laughs> yeah. that kind of thing. But absolutely, the ninja take on the firearms is it's a tool, but uh, it's also there as an advantage, okay? And, you know, if you think about the reason that attackers bring a firearm or bring a weapon to uh, to an assault situation, okay, the reason why they do that is to tip the advantage in their favor. Mm-hmm. You probably don't have one. They do, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, I'm not a gun fanatic, but I do recognize that uh, the primary reason for carrying a firearm is to tip the advantage in your direction, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, crime statistics here in the United States tell us that uh, only a small percentage of attackers who brandish a weapon during the commission of a crime plan to use it. It's a tiny percentage. Mm-hmm. However, 100% of victims who brandish a firearm during the commission of a crime do plan to use it. Attackers know that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's 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 a very different situation. Uh, make sure that you again with, with firearms, just like anything else. Make sure that you know or that you've done some thought or some thinking about what kind of situations you could likely find yourself before you start training. Okay, I mean it's one thing to do familiarization training to understand the firearm and things like that, but you're going to want to go up and you're going to want to go out into these different realms. So, you know, after level one, when I give people a good foundation in drawing and engaging the target, using sights, not using sights, those kind of things, getting some stress things happening. Uh, moving up into level two, we start looking at uh, something called double tapping, where you uh, two rounds go off when when you pull the trigger, that kind of thing. All right, whenever you engage the target, you engage with two rounds instead of one. Uh, there's a bunch of moving forward and back and, and uh, moving while you're while you're shooting. Uh, so there should always be a skill base and not just this. Okay, I know how to point it and uh, pull the trigger and something dies. Uh, maybe okay. hmm. you need make sure you know where the kill zone is. Make sure you know that kind of thing. Remember when you put up we put up the silhouette targets? Yeah. And then I gave you that four inch by eleven inch uh, bar target mm-hmm. to put over it, mm-hmm. and that's where the rounds were supposed to go. Okay, so uh, yeah, there's lots of things, and that surviving under fire uh, DVD set covers the four pillars. What I call four pillars for weapons training, which is one is familiarization. Okay, um, knowing how to hold it, positions for it, loading, reloading, different parts of it, that kind of thing. How to choose mm-hmm. uh, a firearm for your uh, thing for your uh, situation. Uh, number two is actual fire. Actually firing the weapon and, and getting some uh, practice with shooting targets, okay? <clears throat> Reloading, all the, everything that has to do with the actual firing of the weapon, okay? Uh, and they, they, these are in no specific order, but number three then would be disarms, okay? Uh, you don't have one. You've got to take the other guys away from him. And retention, it's just the opposite, okay? Uh, you have one and he doesn't. He's trying to wrestle for it or mm. take it out of your holster, that kind of thing. So, um but it's the same with, with all of these, uh, with any weapon you pick up. Okay? I, I don't believe, and uh, the ninja's take on it is you, you haven't mastered that weapon. Uh, you haven't mastered any weapon unless you know how to defend against it. So 
no matter what weapon we're talking about, I don't care if we're talking about a fist or a headbutt or uh, you know, handgun, sword, doesn't matter. Okay, four pillars: familiarization, learn about it, how to how to handle it, how to move it around, that kind of thing. Actual application against a target, just cutting it, punching it, whatever. Okay, uh, disarms where they're trying to take it away from you or take it out of commission. Right. Uh, I'm sorry, you're trying to shut the, down the other person's weapon. Same thing. Okay, take advantage of it. And the retention, holding on to yours. Kind of like uh, the one uh, exercise that we do when uh, there's a, a counter-strike, right? Mm-hmm. We're, uh, when the attack, the way people mostly uh, train is the attacker throws a punch, we get out of the way and punch the arm, right? So there's this counter-attack mm-hmm. to the arm. And then we move in for the kill, right? Well, what if we're doing that? What if we're the one punching and he gets out of the way and does a counter-strike to mine or parries it, right? Mm. How do I reclaim that weapon and be able to use it against him, okay? How do I uh, ride off that hit to the arm so that my arm comes back into the fight and it doesn't just get taken out and it's it's a done deal, okay? So, uh, you know, people like to believe that their techniques are unbeatable and uh, they are if you fixate on them and you just move around like a statue, mm. okay? So... There's a lot there. We're just scratching the surface with this. So you can find out more, uh, pick up the DVD, Surviving Under Fire, or direct questions to Shidoshi Miller, Warrior C at warrior-concepts-online.com. And, of course, the website, warrior-concepts-online.com, is where you can find out the info and order Surviving Under Fire. Coming up next on Kuden, the courageous warrior. How does a warrior define courage? That's next on Kuden. Which handgun is best for general self-defense? Revolver? or semi-automatic? How many types of recoil must you neutralize in a defensive combat handgun situation? What two skill areas are missing from most gun training courses? You need answers. Your life could depend on it. You need Surviving Under Fire. This three-disc DVD series offers the answers to these questions and more, plus Shidoshi Miller's Four Pillars of Handgun Mastery. Order your copy of Surviving Under Fire today at warrior-concepts-online.com or call 570-988-2228. Put Shidoshi Miller's 25-plus years of knowledge and experience to work for you. Get the three-disc series Surviving Under Fire and master the skills that could one day save your life. We're back with our final segment of this episode of Kuden. And we are talking about the courageous warrior, how the warrior defines courage. That's interesting because I think uh, people have a general thought about what a warrior is. Definitely think one of the uh, ideals is that a warrior is a brave or courageous person. But what does that really mean, being courageous or brave? Hmm. That's a good one. Okay. Uh, does it mean tough? Does it mean, uh, you know, no fear? I hate those bumper stickers. You've seen those. I, I, yeah. think, I think the the fad has passed, right? Remember when No Fear came out? Yeah. A lot of people really associate the whole courage thing to no fear. You know, you don't scare me. You don't even hear people say that, right? Usually the people that say, you don't scare me, are scared. Okay. But then <laughs> uh, that No Fear bumper sticker came out. And then what came out after that, right? The ones that said, fear this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's run with that. So now we've got this contest between the no fear and the fear of this kind of thing, kind of like the bumper stickers that say, my kid's an honor student at, and then the other bumper stickers that came out said, my kid beat up your honor student. Yeah. That kind yeah. of thing. All right. So both childish mentalities, but um, I really uh, think that people need to understand that uh, courage is not the absence of fear. To a ninja, to a warrior, 
courage is the ability to act in the face of fear. Warriors are no less concerned about things than other people. And, you know, there's this thing uh, that's talked about a lot, and you can read about it a lot, about how the warrior or the samurai accepted death. Okay? Well, accepting death, just like accepting pain and accepting that life is uh, filled with uh, suffering and discontent and things like that, if I don't have the proper perspective on things, um, is more a product, a product of an enlightened mind. Okay? Death is a natural part of the living process. Mm-hmm. Okay, So accepting death and accepting the fact that if I put my body out there and if I put myself between the aggressors over there and this thing or these people or this ideal that I'm trying to protect, it's a really good chance that I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. Okay, But accepting death has nothing to do with wanting to die. Okay, So it's the same thing with courage. Courage is... I'd prefer that this stuff was not going on, but something has to be done. Somebody's got to do it, and I'm willing to, Mm. okay? Either out of necessity or out of choice, it's not the same as these folks that jump into, I don't know, the UFC ring or whatever and put themselves in danger for self-glorification. They just, things need to be done. This thing needs to be taken care of. So um, it's probably going to be the shortest discussion we've had, but uh, my take on the thing is courage is the ability to act in the face of fear, not something that's present in the absence of fear. Fear is an awesome motivator. It's also an awesome or a very powerful immobilizer. So uh, what do you do? This is a question for everybody. What do you do? When you're afraid or anxious or nervous or defensive, uh, you know, you've got to talk to that person over there. And every time you even think about talking to them, you get nervous and you start to come up with reasons why, well, I can do it tomorrow or whatever. Okay. This is a good sign as to what's really going on and what you're likely to do under pressure in a, in a really bad situation. Okay. So, uh, what I would like to talk about is the development of courage mm. because courage, just like focus and concentration and oh, uh, you know, any of these other things that we, we talk about in the, in the dojo or in the martial arts school, all these traits, they're skills, just like using a sword or being able to punch or kick or you know anything like that. These are skills, and the more you practice them, the better they get, the more powerful they get. So... Uh, part of it is facing fear that, yes, those things are concerns for me. So when those opportunities pop up, keep going, keep moving, do what you need to do. That's me since I use that keep going all the time. Right? Mm. Take the next step. Keep going. Go do it anyway. Okay? Um, I really don't like roller coasters. I don't. But you know what? My daughter does. She absolutely loves them. I think she's Frickin' retard. Okay? <laughs> Lots of people like them. I don't. Okay, I don't like that fear. I don't like that fear that comes up or that feeling that these rides create when you have that sense that you're falling. 
just mm. a free fall, right? Yeah. This we call amusement. Right? I see you smiling. <laughs> you must like this stuff. I love them. Okay, yeah, yeah the free falls and things like that. Um, it's it's this way of what. I don't know, feeling like you're actually going to fall to your death, but they don't like quite, you know, let you die. Mm-hmm. Woohoo. Okay. I don't like it, but you know what? I ride the roller coaster with my daughter. Hmm. I just put myself in a different state while I'm there and I use it as a, I don't know, meditative experiment or experience or whatever where I can um, see what comes up and I can experience the ride at a different level hmm. because those feelings and, and things as they come up, to me, they're not entertaining. They're not fun. But she would like me to go along. She would like somebody to ride with. It'll enhance her enjoyment. So I figured out a way to adjust myself. So is that courage? I don't know. But I do know that the same feelings and drivers of fear, or that I can associate with fear as the thing is plummeting or whatever, those things still come up in me, okay? I just still don't translate them as a woohoo kind of thing. Yay, I'm falling to my death. Um, I, don't, I don't see it that way, okay? So um, I just kind of suck it up and, and go with her. There's certain people in the world that just the thought of talking to them, right, would make me, you know, kind of dry mouth and things like that. Or mm. what if I say the wrong thing? And what can, I just don't focus on those things, but they still come up. But if I need to get the results I need to get, I need to go talk to that person. Mm-hmm. I need to do this thing. So um, I guess that's courage. It's not as big as most people think of when they think of, you know, two warriors facing each other. And, you know, you're willing to do that. But in the words of Takamatsu Sensei, somebody has to do it. Mm. Yeah. I've heard that he once said that um, who in their right mind would actually want to be a warrior? Who would want to do that? Who would want to be up at 4 or 5 a.m. in wet grass, chafing armor, stuff like that, practicing sword, you know, practicing battle movements? Who would want to do that? Nobody. You know, I'd rather be that schmuck that's, you know, warm and cozy under the blankets with his honey and stuff like that. But you know what? He's not getting up to do it. And somebody has to. Hmm. Do I want to die? No. But... But so it's I mean, really, it seems like we're looking at not an absence of fear or uh, ridding ourselves of a fear of something, but being able to control ourselves through a, a situation where fearful it, that is fearful because, I mean, I would think fear isn't necessarily a bad thing. Maybe people think, oh, well, it's fear. You're afraid of that thing. You're weak. It's but not why necessarily do, a bad thing. Right? Why do most it's, people have jobs? Why do most people do the things they do? They can justify it that, well, I like that, I like contributing. Look, you are out doing something to make money because you fear being homeless, you fear starving to death, those kind of things. You may not think about it that way, Mm -hmm. but watch that same person who justified it a different way when they lose their job, Mm -hmm. where there's the fear of losing their job, right? You You can see it. Those recognitions that, oh, I won't be able to, you know, raise my kids or feed my kids or pay my bills, it starts to bubble up. Uh, and uh yeah it's 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 not it's not the absence of fear it's the recognition that you know these things are there but they have to be taken care of mm. um 
a warrior, my definition for a warrior is a man or a woman who fully engages the world. Okay. Not fearlessly. It looks fearless because mm-hmm. they're just willing to go and do it. Right. But unless you're on the inside, right, it's, it looks very different on the outside. Right. But they want to do this thing and they're just going to go do it. They're going to overcome obstacles and they're going to go do these things. Okay. You want to know one of my biggest fears? Mm-hmm. One of my biggest fears is lying on my deathbed regretting that I didn't do something that I would have, should have, or could have when I was young enough and healthy enough or able to do it. So when opportunities pop up for me, uh, even if they look insurmountable, I just assess what it is that I'm missing or what, what do I need to do? And, you know, I Mm. go for it. Um, I don't know. It's probably, can be defined by some people as courage as well. But uh, but if we're going to engage the world, we're going to need to be able to do things that most people are just unwilling to do. And mm-hmm. I think that's the huge difference. Okay, A warrior, if you want to define this as courage or not, but a warrior is willing to do the tough stuff. A warrior is willing to do those things that most people don't even want to think about. Hmm. Period. <laughs> yeah. Or not. Yeah. So that's courage. To me. Very, very. It's my uh, podcast. It's courage. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, another another very powerful lesson on uh, wrapping up this episode of Kuden. If you've missed any of the previous ones, this is the fifth installment. Be sure to look for the other ones. Uh, you can sign up for various newsletters and alerts that will tell you about upcoming episodes Go to warrior-concepts-online.com to get more information and to sign up for the uh, the different newsletters and alerts that are out there. And you can uh, send us questions, comments. We would love to hear from you if there's uh, a certain segment that uh, you feel we should we should cover, a certain topic that we haven't gotten to yet that you'd really like to hear about, or uh, just just comments on how you feel the show is going. Uh, please let us know. Warrior C at warrior-concepts-online.com. And thank you for listening to this episode of Kuden. Thank you for listening to Kuden, the podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes, call 570-988-2228 or log on to www dot warrior dash concepts dash online dot com that's five seven zero nine eight eight two 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 eight or www dot warrior dash concepts dash online dot com